G'day everyone, it's Millie here from the Livestock Collective, back with a Christmas special episode on the Livestock Leaders podcast. With Christmas just around the corner, there will be many Australian families enjoying a barbecue and a Christmas ham, so I thought I'd bring in the expert. Today we're going to chat to Luke Layson, he's a manager of Goodwood Quality Meats in Adelaide. Now Luke, we start each episode with the same question and that is, what are three words you would describe yourself with? Three words to describe myself. It's always a bit of a tricky one because I always I don't want to really want to like up myself too much. Like, uh, but straight off the bat, probably say creative. Um, I like to yeah get creative and try all weird and wonderful things and yeah create weird and wonderful things. Um, say driven as well. I'm not sure driven by what yet, but definitely driven to um keep doing work and keep doing extra work and I don't know. I don't know what the end goal is yet, but um, yeah, Driven's definitely up there. And third, let's go with let's go with fun because I like to have a bit of fun, and um, you know, it could be a bit serious at work, but always try to try to turn it back to having a bit of fun as well. <laughs> How good! Having done a workshop with you earlier this week, um, definitely a bit of fun and able to have a joke around. So hopefully, we can do that today. Luke, I'd like to delve into a bit of your background more. So you started at the local butcher when you were, what, 12 or, or 13, scrubbing floors and dishes, I believe. How has yeah. that grown into what you do today? Yeah, so it was 13, 13 and a half, which seems like 17 years ago now. So it seems like a lifetime ago. But um, yeah, my, my dad just walked past the, the local butcher shop and uh, saw a help wanted sign and yeah, just kind of just threw me in the deep in there and started cleaning up there until I was probably about 14, 15, and then um, took a little little gap year at Maccas and worked at uh, the Notorious Maccas as well and then got dragged back into trade by my manager then at the time who uh, who was managing the shop that I was cleaning up at. Um, offered me an apprenticeship at the store that he just bought up in Flagstaff Hill. Um, and yeah, just went from there basically. So started off the apprenticeship. That was a, I think it was a four-year apprenticeship back then. Um, I didn't really know exactly what I was getting myself into. I kind of um, wanted to be a chef when I first started out. Um, thought, oh, this would be a bit of a stepping stone and I'll learn all this stuff and then I'll go on to be a chef. And I think when I got older, I realized that um, chef hours aren't amazing. And I, you know, butchering hours are long, but chef hours are uh, split shifts and you lose your bit of your, your nightlife and, and all that kind of jazz. So yeah, just stuck with, stuck with butchering and... Um, Went on to work at multiple different shops. Um, who's my my manager back then when I was thirteen is still my my boss now. So you know I've known him for more than half my life. So I don't know if that's uh, good for me or or bad for him. But um, yeah, he's kind of my <laughs> mentor. He's kind of my mentor and taking me under his wing and taught me everything he knows. Yeah, wow, Luke, that's really impressive um, and pretty special. I don't think many people would be able to say that they've had the same boss for for so many years. Now, Luke, I read that you were actually in California for a bit. It's taking you over there. Is that right? Um, I will be in California. You um, will be? Uh, yeah, next September uh, 2022 for the World Butchers Challenge. So um, if all uh, the, you know, all the bridges align, we'll be over there for the World Butchers Challenge, which is, it's a huge event. It's like the Meat Olympics. It's, um, I was at the one in Ireland in 2018, which was the last one. And obviously the pandemic swept across the, uh, the world, but that was, yeah, it was, it was heaps of fun. There was, I think at that point there was 12 different countries competing. Um, so basically just to 
kind of put it into a bit of a nutshell. It's uh, teams of six. Um, each country kind of selects a team from all over the, their country. Um, from here, we've got SA, Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland as well. Um, so representatives from them. And basically, you've got three hours, I think three hours and 15 minutes to break down a side of beef, a uh, side of pork, whole lamb, and five chickens. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it's five. Um, I always think it's weird. It's an odd number. I would have went with an even number, but um, I'm pretty sure it's five chickens. And you basically display them on eight trestle tables. It's a huge display, um, all value adding. Um, you got to try to be as innovative as possible, uh, blow the ju judge's mind and just really wow them and hopefully take away the win. But um, I think in, in Ireland, we came third, which is good. Podium finish. Amazing. Now, Luke, tell me, who are the big dogs in the world? Like, who takes out these competitions normally? Who came first in Ireland? Well, actually, the island, Irish, came first in Ireland. Um, ah, home so soil of, advantage. Yeah, exactly right. You know, someone wins, and if you like, yeah, because you like him, you're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm, I can do with that. But before that, it was only, uh, it was, used to be the Tri Nations. So, Australia, uh, uh, Great Britain, and New Zealand. And then the French came into it. So there was four teams that was held up in the Gold Coast and then it went, just went bang. And then it went up to 12 teams. So that was the first like major competitions. And then next, next year, it will be up to 15 teams. So just getting bigger and bigger. Right. Very impressive. And good luck in California. Luke, I'd like to use this podcast episode to really delve into um, the Christmas period that's coming up and, and talk about all things meat that are going to be on our barbecues, but especially ham, because, you know, I'm assuming at your butcher, you've got Aussie, Aussie pork, but how as consumers do we know that what we're purchasing is Australian pork? It's, it's funny how you go about saying uh, Christmas coming up because in a butcher's mind, like Christmas has been happening for like months already. And it's like, like we're, like we're in the thick of it now and you kind of explain that to people and they go, what are you doing early now? Like it's early December. So you shouldn't be doing Christmas stuff, but it's it's full on as a butcher. And any butcher listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but you're right, in, in the sense of um, Australian pork in butcher shops, I personally don't know a like a local butcher shop that would import pork. Um, I would say it's probably more on a, a larger scale um, but I guess for any consumer out there knowing that we're needing to know why or how is Australian pork, basically if it's on the bone, it's your own, it rhymes. So, um, so that just means that any kind of bone in leg ham that you get in a supermarket or a bigger, bigger distributor, or even in your local butcher shop is going to be Australian. Um, but the new, like the new bar is a really good uh, way to tell as well. Just as long as that bar is like above 95% um, Australian ingredients, because Obviously, the pork is Australian. There's going to be maybe a few other spice and stuff like that that comes from overseas. But as long as the bulk of it is above that 95%, you're laughing. And that's for all, you know, bacon, everything like that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So not, I didn't really know this until maybe two or three years ago until Australia Pork really done their, um, their big campaign. But like 80% of the bacon and small goods that you consume in Australia uses imported pork. And I was just kind of like, like 80% is a big number. Yeah, so that's hopefully, hopefully since then, we've kind of brought it back. Do you know if we have? I personally, I don't know, but I can, I'll find out. Yeah, um, find out. How interesting. 80% is huge. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it was a bit of a, like a, yeah, like a slap in the face almost when you kind of heard that. But I really hope that they did like, you know, the next marketing and the next like campaign, you know, 60%. But even though it might not sound as, um, you know, as, as big of a slap in the face, but it would be great to every year kind of hear that percentage come down and down further. Yeah, definitely. Where does it actually come from? Like what countries? I know that a lot of the imported stuff does come from uh, Canada and Denmark, I reckon are the, the biggest two importers from us. Um, but I don't really, I try not to get my head in that headspace too often because I know for me and the butcher shop that I work at and the butcher shops around me, we all just focus on Australian pork. Um, it's got the Australian pork logo on it, the nice pretty pink logo there. You know, it's, it's Australian pork. Um, and I just don't really, I don't really understand it. I don't understand why you would go elsewhere for your produce, especially when you've got the highest standards we do here in Australia and, you know, you meet the farmers as well and they're just bloody good people. So I don't understand why you would, uh, yeah, shop around. Why, I'm so why glad. Go out, why go out for a burger when you've got steak at, steak at home? <laughs> I love it. And I'm so glad that you brought up farmers and, and meeting those farmers because I want to know more about the communication that you have as butchers with them. What is that supply chain like and that communication? Yeah, so we talk to, um, I guess, where we get our pork from. He's also got a farm up north as well. So we talk to him on the phones. Um, and also another gentleman that we talk to the phone, he's probably like, I don't know where he's up there, but he, he's up there in the uh, in the the company that we get the pork from. And his wife actually works in the same company as well. So we've kind of known them for a number of years. And we, we, we go through the same supplier. We have been for the last 10, 15 years, even before I worked at the shop that I'm currently at. So it's good good relationship they come to the shop as well and um when they heard we got the world's best pork sausage they thought well they're using our pork for this sausage so uh they came in and uh got some of that as well so yeah we got a really good uh relationship with the the farmer and the 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 producer as well so it kind of it helps because it's you know if there's any problems or if there's any queries we can always just reach out straight to them Excellent. So you have that direct line of call. It's uh, so good to hear. And Luke, I've met yourself um, and another bunch of leaders in the pork industry through a recent workshop that I've been running. Tell me about that workshop because you're in your role. I'm thinking that you have a lot of contact with consumers and customers and perhaps they have questions about their meat. How has this workshop given you skills? Um, has it changed the way that you approach those conversations? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing I always kind of get out of these, um, like yeah, these what do you call these? Like I, I just like look at them as like network opportunities. Like I, you know, I understand we're all digital at the moment, but it's always good to meet um, like minded people in the industry, and especially people that you wouldn't necessarily meet, obviously from different states and stuff like that. But there's never going to be a time that I kind of walk into a room and it's full of um, farmers, vets um chicoutry like chicoutry makers um yeah it's just it's just got to take those opportunities where you can so i even even though it's uh we're there we're, we're listening to these speakers and, and i'm learning a lot from the speakers as well um i always try to like kind of pick the brains of the you know the other the other students as well and just try to find out what they're about and um you know you send us off in these little break rooms and we uh break off rooms and and we we do the drill but then we get like a bit of like a cheeky 30 seconds there. So I always try to just like ask them as many questions as I can. 
great to hear that that network is um, important to you. And yeah, there's, I think there's almost 200 livestock leaders around Australia now for you to connect with. Um, we have a couple of butchers in Queensland. I think we have one in Victoria, um, yourself in South Australia and those other couple that are on your workshop at the moment as well. So great to have your area of the supply chain better represented. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, if you name the butchers, I probably follow them on Instagram. I'm a bit of a fiend to kind of connecting with as many people as I possibly can over over the socials. You've got to put them to good use. Yeah, absolutely. Has that grown since COVID or you've always been like that? Oh, I'd say probably a bit more... Um, a bit more active on it, but I try to, I try to be active in a good way rather than just aimlessly scrolling. Like I, I talk to butchers all around the world and um, yeah, just, yeah, I guess more, more of a purposeful scroller now. Do you have any really cool people that we should follow in, in your world? Who's, who's your top pages? All right. Four. I've, I've got a few. Um, if we go top tier, well, they're all top tier, really. They're all butchers are top tier, but um the the captain of the um, Great Britain team, Simon Taylor. He's he's huge. He's a bit of a he's like he's like the Jamie Oliver of the butchering world. I reckon. I don't know if it's just because he's English. I might be just putting him putting him <laughs> into that um, into that group. But the stuff that he does is heaps good. And he's actually like he's picked up. He's got picked up by like a ta- talent agency. So that's maybe I'm thinking I'm going to see him on TV soon. Um, is it the American butcher? Obviously, he's American. Uh, Travis Stockstill. Had him on my uh, podcast, uh, and the podcast episode went for two so long that it was a part one and part two. Um, but his is like really so. Simon's more of a shop butcher. Um, he's got shops, uh, sorry, Hills butchery. Uh, but Travis is a bit more processing, so it's a bit more um, nitty and gritty, and um, you can see the kind of behind the scenes stuff to it as well. But if I was going to say any two, it would be them. But if I'm going to bring it back to home, um, Joel Joel Young, like he's he's my mate from Victoria. He's Victorian, so that doesn't uh, doesn't help his case out much. Um, being South Australian, we've got a bit of a natural rivalry, but yeah, he's like my like my trailblazer. I always say that he's a trailblazer. Oh, I'm looking forward to checking all of them out. Um, so Luke, how are you preparing for this competition? So you go in there, you have to value add and really impress the judges. How on earth do you prepare for that? Well, it's, it's been near impossible to prepare for it at the moment. Like we can't, we, we normally as a team, we meet up in the Gold Coast um, and we do training runs, um, which are, uh, all our amazing sponsors kind of supply um, ingredients and stock and um, produce and stuff like that for us to to train up there so we get together we go through ideas we kind of just basically have dry runs um and then it's it's a pretty good environment because even though um like you obviously get creative at home and you, you make all these products and stuff like that or you got them in your mind and in your mind that they, they always work every product always works in your head but then when you actually physically do it some sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but um because you're in a like a a group of like-minded individuals that are all aiming to you know take out first prize you can you can t- kind of take the feedback and it's construct it's all constructive criticism so if you know maybe you got a product there and it comes past and tells you well, what about you try this you know you try that so it's um it's a good environment and it basically it's just just trying to think outside the box um just trying to think about you know what other countries are not going to be doing and i think Australia's really got an advantage in that sense because we are such a multicultural country. We've got so many um, inspirations in 
in our food. Um, but if you, if I look at like, say the French or the English or even the Germans, they've got like a really rich heritage. So they always kind of stick to their guns. And I don't think they really want to change up what they're doing because, you know, that's the way, that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it always will be. But I think with Australia, we've got so many different uh, inputs from different cultures. We can, yeah, really just like, just trial and error all these new products and just show the world all these different products that no other country is really going to prepare. This could be a really silly question, but we joked before about a homegrown advantage with the Irish, but is where is the meat sourced from for these competitions? Like, is, is it local and does it provide those locals with the advantage? Yeah, well, it is all local. So um, I think that is maybe something like you always, whenever you do kind of run throughs, you always allow like a, 10 15 minute buffer just in case things go wrong and you know there's a bit of a spanner in the works which there always is like we trained with their beef was huge it's not what we trained with it actually got um instead of being a four-quarter and a hind quarter actually the four-quarter got busted up into three different sections which um like paul brady up our kind of beef breaker he knocked it out anyway but it does kind of throw a bit of a spanner in the work so if you're kind of from the country and you know what the produce is going to be like you're kind of used to it. Um, but I remember I was, I was, I broke down the pork, looked back at the bandsaw, just turned it off and went back to my bench and done it with a handsaw because there was no way I could possibly get this hunk of meat through this tiny little machine. So it definitely helps. It definitely pays to be local. Wow. Um, good luck. Really looking forward to seeing how you go with that. Now, look, just want to touch on quickly the industry in terms of career. You obviously started as an apprentice. Are there different, um, you know, competitions, like I don't know whether something like meat judging is helpful, but different avenues into this industry where you're looking to upskill? Like, do you have quite a a young industry? Um, Are you looking to bring more people in? What's it like? Unfortunately, I don't think the industry is that young. Um, I think that's what we have a bit of trouble with at the moment is finding apprentices, um, yeah, finding people that kind of want want to be apprentices. And when you do, you kind of grab them, you don't let them go. Um, but yeah, it is it is a bit of a struggle at the moment to find apprentices. So, I mean, if you're out there and if you want a job and you're in South Australia, come find me because we'll take on an apprentice, that's for sure. But um, yeah, it's only that I, I'm personally, I guess I guess that's what I mentioned before when I used to ask about the three words to describe you. And I said driven, but I'm not really sure driven to what yet. Um, I guess I am kind of driven to, I guess, showcase butchering and showcase being a butcher. Um, because I sure as hell, when I was younger, I didn't really know what a butcher was or a butcher shop. Um, but now I guess going further into my career, it is, it is a good career path and there's always work like that shows just through the pandemic as well. Like every butcher shop was open and everyone needed to eat. So you're never going to be out of work. Um, and just, yeah, yeah, just to try to show the world that it is a good trade and it is great. And I mean, you can go as far as, yeah, being at, on the world stage and representing your country or you can you know, own your own shop, you can make your own hours and, you know, you can, you know, the world is your oyster if you become a butcher basically because there's just so many possibilities. Yeah, and can I just say that um, I've lived in four different states of Australia and always love to go to my local butcher because I just think supporting local and and the meat is always feels like it tastes better. But butchers are always so humble. I feel like they're just the most friendly people ever. Yeah, I guess like, I don't know, maybe it's because, 
you know, you are, you are part of that neighborhood and you are, um, you're serving the, you, you're, you're, you're serving the community. So um, especially at our shop, like we've, well, when I say we've like, we as a shop have served three, four generations of customers and especially up like Paul, who's um, actually been longer there, longer at the shop than, um, than the owner. He's been there for 30 odd years. He served, you know, um, ladies and then their daughters and then da- their daughter's daughters. So um, I don't know if, I don't know if you would have this, you, you said you lived in just outside of South Australia, but in South Australia, you get like a slice of Fritz when you come in to the butcher shop. Is that a oh, thing? Yeah. Where, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Paul would always have these customers coming in, like they'd be like 30 or 40 now. But I remember when you gave me a slice of Fritz and now they're bringing their daughter or their sons in and they've got a slice of Fritz. So uh, that's like a tradition we have, but it kind of just shows what like uh, like a p- pivotal part of the neighborhood, like little butcher shops are, especially because their ways, you know, supporting the, the, the local footy club or the, uh, the cafes around the street and stuff like that. Oh, Luke, I'm so glad that you brought up the Fritz because no other state does it. Well, no other state that I've lived in anyway, or maybe I grew up and they didn't want to give it to me. But it's such a South Australian thing, and I'm so glad that it's um, not only in Narracourt where I used to get it as a little girl, but in Adelaide and elsewhere in South Australia. Great news. Yeah, well, I, th- I think other states try to do it, and they give it silly names. Like, I'm not going to make any friends here, but... And yeah, they call it silly names like Devon or Baloney or all of this jazz. But no, no, yeah. no. I'm, I'm actually, I want to, I don't know how I would even start this. Like, do you start a petition or, you know, how like champagne is only called champagne if it's made in champagne. Mm-hmm. And that's too many times saying champagne, champagne. But, <laughs> you know, I think Fritz should only be allowed to be called Fritz if it's made in South Australia by like your local, by butchers. I don't know how we could get this off the ground, but there's something in that. Look, um, I think you can do anything. So um, we've got you back at the Livestock Collective. Yeah. If you put something out there, we will be sure to support you. <laughs> um, Luke, I'm thinking that your plans go beyond just um, renaming Fit Fritz in Australia. You've achieved the world's best sausage. You are heading international in your competitions um, next year, all going well. What else are your future plans? Like, what do you want to see for the industry? Well, right now, I just want to get through the next four weeks um, alive and well <laughs> through Christmas um, with as much sleep as I can get. But I know that's probably not going to happen. But um, I don't know. I guess, I guess, like at the moment, I've, I've uh, kind of buried myself in with work, with um, not just the work of the butcher shop, but I, I do actually do my own podcast as well um, called The Meetup. Um, and that's something I kind of put together while COVID was kind of all happening because I started really enjoying going to all these events and meeting all these um, butchers or people that work in the industry. And then all of a sudden that was just kind of cut off. So I thought, well, let's, let's like do a bit of a, like a, you know, a virtual kind of networking thing where I can kind of, you know, reach out to people that I want to speak to. I, I, it's, I always call this a little bit selfish at the podcast because I just kind of go reach out to guests that I've just always really wanted to speak to and want to pick their brains about stuff, uh, get them on the podcast and just have a bit of a chat. Like it's all pretty low key and pretty lighthearted banter. And um, so that's, I guess that's on the immediate horizon. Uh, just got our Christmas special coming out um, now in, in the next couple of days, the 12 days of Christmas um which got some really cool guests on there as well uh but after that i'm just i'm just waiting for the borders to open so i can 
go to all these festivals and like these meat festivals and maybe compete again at the butcher wars and meat stock and get over to California and um, see all my butcher friends from around the world and network. Excellent. Lots on the horizon and really glad that you mentioned that podcast, the meetup. Um, is that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts? Where can we find that one? Uh, yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, something called Stitcher that I've never heard of, but it's on there too. Um, it's, on all, it's on all the good podcast directories. Before we enter our last questions, um, I also just want to ask you where you can we can follow you on social media. You have an Instagram page? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, even even on TikTok. That's a weird and wonderful place. But um, and also newly newly onto LinkedIn, which we've uh, we've just covered in the uh, livestock leaders program. So um, jump on there. It's all just at Luke Blason. Uh, L e y s o n is how to spell the last name. I think that's. Uh, um, I don't know. I just kind of go into auto mode because everyone always spells it with an A. So yeah, L E Y S O N. That's on the Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and even the, the Meetup. So the the Meetup underscore podcast. That's on um, the Insta as well. Excellent. Make sure everyone's following Luke. Now, Luke, last question is: If you could get one key message out there for everyone to hear and understand, including um, you know animal activists, I'm assuming you know vegans, vegetarians are very opposite to what you do for a living. If you could connect with them, what would you tell them? What would you want them to understand? Um, I've always I've always wanted to have a bit of a conversation with. Um, like an animal activist or a vegan or something, but it had to be the right one. Like someone that's kind of a bit open-minded because um, but I guess my one key message to, to that would just be like, you know, don't paint us all with the same brush. Um, it's all, it's very easy to kind of see all this graphic content that uh, obviously from a different country or in a different, different time zone, a different time. Um, but yeah, just don't paint everyone with the same brush. There's a lot of amazing uh, farmers, producers, butchers out there um, putting in the hard yards and have genuinely got the animal welfare and everything like that on the top of the table. Um, yeah, I always think it's a bit sad when, yeah, when people, they, they pour their heart and soul into their work and um, it's just so easily torn down by, um, I hate to quote the, the man, but, you know, fake news and um, yeah, just just videos and stuff that are just so easily put on put on the internet just to bring people down. So yeah, just give, just give us a chance. We'll change your mind. <laughs> I, I bet you could. You're very convincing, Luke. And but I, I do agree. I think when you know yeah, what you do for your work in our industry is attacked. It's also attacking livelihoods, families, and everything like that. And that's exactly why the livestock collective exists. Um, to hopefully grow more more trust in our industry and all along the supply chain. So thank you for being uh, a fantastic leader in that. I want to reiterate, if it's on the bone, it's your own. Was that it? That's exactly right. And it rhymes, <laughs> so it works. And it's going to stick in people's minds. That might even be my uh, episode name. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Luke, for jumping on board the Livestock Leader podcast. It is really fantastic to delve into your story. It's been a lot of fun um, and looking forward to hearing, listening to your Meetup podcast as well. A massive thank you to our audience for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, as always, make sure you're following the Livestock Collective and Livestock Leaders on social media and head back and listen to our previous episodes. 
This is our last one for 2021, but we'll be back in 2022 um, with some more leaders all across Australia and agricultural supply chains. The Livestock Collective would like to wish everyone a very festive season and we're looking forward to what we can achieve in 2022.